0: Well, I'm going to have you turn, if you don't mind, in Romans chapter 1. We're going to take uh, just a few minutes tonight. I will not keep you long. Just a brief meditation on this passage. This is Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. As you're turning there, I I do want to echo with my wife as well. We're very grateful to be here and very humbled to be a part of this family and that you have welcomed us here. And it's um, our privilege and our honor to be here. Romans chapter 1, verses 24 and 25. Before I read this text, I'd like to ask <clears throat> a brief question. In light of, as Brad mentioned, the the season that we're in of um, politics and the things that we see on the news sometimes, I wonder if anything shocks us anymore. Um, as Brad mentioned, the the video that came out this week with one of the presidential candidates, but for both of them as well, is anything really appeal to us as a shock value anymore. It's easy sometimes to turn on the TV and hear things or to scroll through Twitter um, and not even click on it because it doesn't bother us anymore, I think, at least it doesn't for me. Sometimes I think that we apply the lack of shock or being surprised. We take that and we apply it to the scriptures. And in particular, we, we apply this to the character of God. So I have one question tonight and two, two brief points to look at from this passage in Romans 1, 24. Here's my question. So I'm going to apply this corporately, and then I'd like to apply this question individually to us as well. Brothers and sisters, are we shocked and surprised that God hates unrighteousness, and yet he loves us? Are we shocked and surprised that God hates unrighteousness and yet he loves us? If I could penetrate that question a little further in, are you shocked? Am I shocked and surprised that God hates unrighteousness and yet he has placed his love on you? And brothers and sisters, he's placed his love on me. I think that's a profoundly Simple question to ask, but a profound question that comes out in this passage tonight. That Paul, as a passage that all of you, I assume, know very well, helps us to think and feel through that question in a very real way. Romans one twenty four and 25 says this, therefore, well, therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Just a really brief overview of this, um, the context of this verse in light of this chapter. Paul does something very interesting here. I'm a person of training who likes to look at words and how, not just what a writer says, but how a writer says it. And what Paul does rhetorically here is he sets us up in the first 16 verses of this chapter to tell us the great news of the gospel, that is the power of God into salvation. And then Paul rhetorically turns that, what we expect he will launch into this great exposition of this good news, but Paul doesn't do that. Paul, in turn, turns us and holds our head under the most massive, damning effect of sin that you can possibly imagine. And he does it one chapter, two chapters, three chapters. He holds us under this of the damning nature of our own sin in light of God's great mercy and glory. Rosaria Butterfield, I know that you guys are getting ready to to read this book. Rosaria, before she was a convert, was given a copy of calvin's institutes a huge box of books she was given by one of her cha- transgender friends whose name was jay and jay was training in the ministry and uh was uh, obviously dealing with with these things in romans one as well and wanted to get rid of these books and rosaria well rosaria was trying to to deal with this passage as well and so she she got the big the big box of books and it was overflowing with these books. And one of them was Calvin's institutes. And as Rosaria flipped open the book in the margin was written by her transgender friend, Jay beware of Romans one Romans one will get me. And as Rosaria read through the exposition that Calvin gave to Romans one, and in particular, she turns to Paul's exposition of this, of our sin Rosaria makes this comment, which is stunning to me. She says, as I read this chapter, particularly verses 21 through 26, this looked like the table of content for my life. In fact, ladies and gentlemen, as we know, this is the table of content of our culture. And if we would be really honest with ourselves, this is the table of content of our own lives as well. So, are we surprised and shocked that God would love, or I'm sorry, hate unrighteousness and let love us? Well, Paul addresses really quickly the answer to that question in two really unique ways. So I'd like for you to, maybe if you're keeping track of this, to jot these two things down. How does Paul do this? How does he answer this question? Well, point number one is this, really quick. We should, why we should be surprised. I call this, as Paul does, the great exchange. Paul in Romans 1 outlines not just in this passage that I read, but this passage is set in the context of a threefold process of a language, a similar language that Paul uses here. For example, in verse 22, verse 22, it talks about how the glory of God is exchanged for images of birds and animals and mortal man itself. And in the process of that, the step process of that, is that God gives them over to their lusts in verse 24. Verse 25, Paul uses the same language, that we exchange, we do this exchanging. We exchange the truth about God. Well, what do we do it for? We do it for a lie. What does God do? Well, he gives once again over to things, verse 26. He gives us over to dishonorable passions. The third exchange. The third exchange, Paul says in verse 26, that we exchange the natural relations contrary to nature. Verse 28, in the context of that, what, is God, what does Paul say that God does? Well, he gives us over to a debased mind. In the context of this passage, Paul talks about, particularly verse 21, how in our own futile sin, how we're in our own desires, that God gives us over, first of all, to our futile thinking, and then, well, then to our foolish hearts. There's a linking here between these things. When Paul refers to the hearts, it's our passions, it's our desires that come out, first through the thinking, then through our passions, then through the body. We should be surprised that God hates unrighteousness and and yet loves us because outside of Christ, according to Paul, we are doing the active exchanging of our sin for God's wrath. And this is something we're told over and over again. You know this. This is something that we earn. We desire this. This is the trade-off. This is the great exchange that takes place. How does this happen? How do we live in a culture of ourselves that contribute to this? Well, Paul tells us. Paul says that we see what we see and know outwardly is rejected in exchange inwardly for what we reject inwardly is our sin and what we express it. Well, we express that sin outwardly as well. This exchange begins in the mind and it moves to our heart, our emotions. People say, this is what I am. This is how I feel. And inevitably Paul says, well, it expresses itself in the body. Ladies and gentlemen, our wills, according to this passage, are not neutral. We know this because Paul links to the fact this is not just Gentiles, verse 16. It's also to both the Jews as well, Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles. Brothers and sisters, this exchanging that's taking place in this passage didn't begin on October the 16th, 2015 with the Obergefell decision, We've been doing this exchanging since the fall. We have been consciously doing this. Friends, we should be utterly shocked and dismayed that given the radical corruption of our hearts, that God would love us. Calvin comments on this passage I mentioned to you from Rosario's reading of the Institutes. Calvin comments on this passage in Romans saying, religious honor cannot be given to a creature without it being taken away in in a disgraceful manner uh, from God. This is the Adamic nature of our sin, that we have fallen in Adam and we are held accountable. We know we're doing this, Paul says. We, we suppress this knowledge from that's given to him from God. The, the, the verb that Paul uses, this idea of katakane, of idea of suppressing a spring as far as we can down. It's not the fact that this information bounces off our heads. We know who God is. That's the terrible news. The great news is that Paul, in this small little passage, doesn't leave us with the horrible news of our rebellion. He actually leaves us with a great hope, which comes to my second point, why we should not be surprised that God hates unrighteousness and loves us because of the second great exchange that happens We read in verse 24 that God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity to the dishonor of their bodies and among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. And in the middle of this very dry, barren passage of our sin blooms a small hope that Paul puts in. He cannot help himself here to stop and insert a praise to who God is. Paul says this to serve who has served the creature rather than the creator. And Paul inserts this passage in this point who is blessed forever. Amen. All this lengthy detail we have and Paul draws upon a similar thing he's done before calling God creator, creator, not in the sense of the noun creator in the sense of the verb, having one, having created it. So, so, that may not only excite for me, but that's pretty exciting for me. Not just the sense of the noun, but in the sense of the verb. Why? Because we know that this creator God has not just made everything, but one of the great characteristics of him that Paul keeps reminding us of, whether it's in Romans or it's in Galatians or in Ephesians, that this creator God not only creates everything, but he's a recreator as well. So really fast, you don't have to turn there, but you can mark me on this. So this is Ephesians chapter 2. Paul echoes this same idea too. And he says this, if you, that the same kind of parallel that's happening in this passage. And he says that you, you watch the pronouns here? You were dead in the trespasses of your sin in which you once walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, and the spirit that's at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom, and then he changes it, among whom that we all, lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our body and in the mind that we were by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God, but God being rich in his mercy because of the great love that he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, well, he creates, he makes us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been, saved through faith, you've been saved through faith and raised up with him and seated with him in the heavenly places of Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages you might show the immeasurable riches of his, of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God. It's not a result of works. It is the gift of God, not of the result of works, so that no one can boast, for we are his workmanship. We are his poema. To be created. And here's that word again. Paul links this idea. Ladies and gentlemen, given all this, why should we not be shocked that God hates unrighteousness and yet still loves us? Well, Paul says it's because it's due to God's mercy in Christ. He exchanges our sin for his righteousness. This great double exchange. And this is something that we can't earn. We can't do enough of. This is the power of God that's recreating in us. Brothers and sisters, we worship and serve the creator, not the creation. Why? Well, because of the mercy that we found in Christ. This creator God, our sovereign Lord, does what Paul implies here he recreates. He not just creates, he recreates. Piper, John Piper makes mention of this passage and he says in this regenerating, this renewing that, that God does in our lives, that in this new birth, our dead, I particularly like the way uh, Piper says this. I stand before every morning, a, a group of 11th graders, so I totally get this. Paul says that in birth, in our new birth, our dead stony boredom with Christ is replaced and exchanged by a heart that senses the worth of Jesus. Have you been bored with Christ? Well, if, you, if you're not, that's a gift to you. There's a small passage in Pilgrim's Progress, I know Brad's affinity for Pilgrim's Progress. I pulled this short passage out tonight, and it's very short, where Christian is uh, talking to Hopeful about what is you know, what was his life before he had hope versus what he has after he had hope. Christian asks him this question, in light, I think, of this passage. And he wants to know the effect of what this revelation of knowing that Christ is not actually not boring, but what he's actually done for us. What kind of revelation has that been, he, Christian asked Hopeful, on not just his spirit, or not just his soul, but his spirit. And Hopeful says this. He said, it made me see. It made me see the state of the world condemned and the Father as just. It made me greatly ashamed of the vileness of my former life. It made me love a holy life and showed me so the beauty of Christ. This creator God whom we serve and worship, I was reminded this morning, he's not our buddy. He's not a big guy in the sky. He's not some consummate gentleman passively waiting for us in our rebellion to move our dead hearts and minds toward him. Brothers and sisters, the creator God whom we worship is the sovereign Lord. He's our king. And we bow to him in both mind and will and desire. Why? Because from this passage, uh, we owe him everything. We owe him all. Let's pray. Father God, it is a remarkable thing in a world where things become unremarkable to us. God, how remarkable it is that you would condescend to come to sinful us and make a way. You didn't have to do that. God, in our rebellion that we actively act out and have acted out in the past against you, thanks be to God that you did not leave us in this state. Lord, I thank you for these brothers and sisters here tonight who know quite well the life they've had as I know the life I've had. Thank you, Lord. God, one of the things that we're told in this passage is that because of our unrighteousness that we fail to honor you and give thanks to you. Lord, as redeemed brothers and sisters here tonight, we honor you and we praise your great and holy name. We pray these things in the name of Christ. Amen.